Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. My guest today is an individual I've known for about 20 years. We've worked in two of the largest service and auditing corporations, Serco Group and Deloitte Consulting, and at the same time I have managed to obtain a very slim contact via LinkedIn. So I was glad to know I'd be talking with him today on Heads Talk. Before I get into that, here is a quick message from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Wipro Limited, which trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol WIT or WIT. Wipro Limited is a leading global information technology consulting and business process services company. We harness the power of cognitive computing, hyper automation, robotics, cloud analytics, and emerging technologies to help our clients adapt to the digital world and make them successful. The company recognized globally for its comprehensive portfolio of services, strong commitment to sustainability and good corporate citizenship. We have over 175,000 dedicated employees serving clients across six continents. Together we discover ideas and connect the dots to build a better and bold new future. Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. So who am I talking about? Let me introduce you to Thomas Romero. Today, Thomas is a senior business transformation executive with 20 plus years experience in digital platforms, digital customer experience solutions, corporate operations and business process transformation within industry management consulting services. Prior to this, Thomas's role included, but were not limited to, the Middle East head of consulting services for Wipro, the chief operating officer for Ernst & Young, UK and Ireland the Senior Vice President, Global Finance and Operations for Marsh and McLennan Companies. His sector experience extends from banking, manufacturing, real estate, energy to utilities, media, telecoms and government, and I'm sure much more. He is described as being a charismatic leader with an excellent blend of strategic insight into financial processes, as well as having a crisp and forensic view of business processes. Among some of Thomas's accomplishments, or the numerous publications which we may touch upon in the course of this interview. Um, where do I start? Let's jump into the deep end. Pretty much, what is going on in your head about what is going on out there? Just give my audience a quick summation because I know we're going to go into more detail and specifics, but Thomas, what on earth is going on? How do we get out of this with our heads above water? Um, that's a very good question that many of our clients are also asking that and also many of my friends uh, keep asking me regardless of the fact that they might be uh, Chelsea supporters or not Chelsea supporters. Um, when, I, when this first thing started, uh, my initial thoughts uh, that I was sharing basically with most of them, specifically when things were happening in China in the months of December and January, was about the fact that, you know, is this going to be as bad as it was? Um, impact-wise, or worse, in regards to what happened uh, almost a decade ago when we had the financial crisis uh, from, a, from a banking system when Lehman's Brothers went into collapse and everything else kept falling behind it. Mm-hmm. The other thing that actually came to our minds at the time was a bit more about how each country, uh, major city, will have to deal with a virus that at the time it appeared that it had no cure at its rate of infection as we saw in China at the time, and then in other countries, was pretty fast, which actually meant that 
uh, you either had to be totally isolated uh, to basically be uh, away from it or do certain things to make sure that uh, you were able to make that happen. However, uh, to the second part of your question in regards to how do we get out of this, um, I think that um, it is going to be a bit of a short-term and medium-term long struggle until there is a vaccine. And number two, a lot of the companies and clients that I'm working with right now over the past uh, few weeks, uh, we're all actually trying to figure out what is that new normal that we have to do and how do we basically work in this new normal and be successful and continue to make sure that our firms are profitable and also continue to make sure that our, our, our companies are also making money uh, from that point of view. Otherwise, those companies will cease to exist. Mm. So it comes down to that level. Mm-hmm. So uh, at, a first, uh, at a first level, hopefully that was helpful, but uh, it, is, uh, it is not an easy answer. It certainly isn't. And we will go into some of the details about the change and perhaps in terms of the, the positive light that some of the change might be for the benefit and, and also greater detail and specifics on that. But um, I'd like to continue and move on a little bit. But, you know, everything in your line of work today, speak of change, transformational change, business change, upgrades, etc. We cannot deny the change that is happening right now and that is going to affect the way we do business going forward permanently. Um, can you walk me and my audience through at least some of the starting points to this change in terms of how does a global organization start this process and how does it implement this, bearing in mind, for example, the different countries where the organization have basis, the, the culture, the different levels of the effect of COVID-19 on the population, et cetera, et cetera. Just talk me through some of the scenarios um, some of the things, for instance, that Wipro is doing and all contemplating. Um, that's, a, that's, a very, that's a very good question as well. The, um, um, but let me start by, um, by the baseline point of the question. Many companies less than a year ago were not prepared at all to go to this level of uh, business continuity planning. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Many of our companies, uh, including clients, uh, were not ready to basically be able to work uh, in a virtual manner. Uh, So uh, there is a joke that I see all the time in LinkedIn and also in in Facebook and other mediums and also newspapers. uh, What has been the biggest push to people move to a virtual ways of working and also digital ways of working? has been basically being COVID-19. It hasn't basically been a CEO telling you what to do or a board of directors telling you what to do. It's been this, by the way. So at that level, um, I just want to make sure that people understand that baseline because what I'm going to say next might come to a bit of a surprise to to many of the people that are are also uh, your listeners as well. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, uh, and just to give you some clear examples, uh, we noticed that a lot of our clients did, were not ready to support their staff uh, to basically work from home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm talking about uh, what I define as uh, office workers. Uh, I'm not even talking about people that are in the field, people yeah. that deal with manufacturing processes, etc. That's a total separate scenario. But on that scenario, 
um, you know, a, a client uh, asking me, Tomas, I have uh, 500 people, 2,000 people, 5,000 people, and I don't have enough laptops. Mm-hmm. I don't have enough, uh, they don't have enough connectivity. In some countries, for example, uh, let that be if it's in Germany, outside of the main cities, uh, broadband is pretty poor. So what do we do for them? Uh, there's not enough uh, telecom towers or you know, 4G, 5G towers around mm-hmm. uh, for them as well to actually be connected. So you start thinking a bit more about ingenuity-wise. Uh, you need to have a, you know, thin laptops. You need to also have uh, basically um, uh, you know, Vodafone or uh, Deutsche Telekom type of uh, dongles that you're able to connect to get basically Wi-Fi through your laptop, etc. Uh, plus, so the, the last thing that I have noticed in certain clients, which this is going to surprise to your users, um, all of that lack of planning about moving into a more digital collaborations ways of working uh, impacted a lot of firms. But the ones that actually were very bold in spending a lot of time trying to figure it out how to collaborate in a digital world, uh, have been the one has been very successful. So, for example, um, I have a couple of clients that uh, have been going through an implementation of a collaboration technology like Microsoft Teams, for example, which is not a big deal from my point of view, but they took the bold approach to implement it across the whole organization. Now, when you do that at that level, that basically means that you're able to share documents, you're able to do video conference calls, you're able to share information a lot more quicker so that you do not have to deal with the fact that um, I'm not able to continue to make revenues, I'm not able to uh, basically build clients, etc. from that point of view, and I'm also able to meet my deadlines. Uh, so... Um, I don't know if those examples were, were, were exactly some of the things that your listeners are also going through probably, mm-hmm. uh, but um, what I'm noticing as well is that if um, companies that are actually have started to ask us those things since the month of February and March, we, we had to be very clever on how we were able to do those things quickly for them and how to roll them out on, uh, on a remote way as well. Mm-hmm. Given the fact that um, how do we get uh, laptops to them when uh, there's problems in manufacturing in China or in Malaysia because there is no there is not enough workers, um, you know how do you help manufacturing companies switch manufacturing locations? Given the fact that China, Malaysia, and other countries uh, may not have enough people on the ground because of COVID nineteen, mm-hmm. that has also been the other interesting dependencies as well. All right. That's, that's quite fascinating. So, some of the stuff I'm, I'm taking from you is that there was a major lack of foresight in a lot of the organisations in getting themselves ready for something like this. And on the other hand, there was a lot of ingenuity by some of the organisations. And I, I kind of want to expand on the, the ingenuity and the side of things. I think perhaps let's look at um, AI, robotics and autonomous systems. Um, this is another area of your expertise. Um, what role will a sort of RPA for my listeners, robotics process automation and artificial intelligence play going forward post COVID-19 that perhaps was not a role considered prior to the outbreak? Um, do you welcome it? Um, I have 
And I've seen an increase in the use of, say, drones for services. Um, only recently, the UK government were considering the use of drones for delivering supplies to remote and hard-to-reach areas in the United Kingdom. Um, please tell my listeners your thoughts on this, and what have you seen? Well, um, how would I... Uh, <laughs> one thought came to mind, um, as you were asking me that question, was around the fact that the most ingenuity gets implemented when humankind is um, is being put to the test or is against the wall. Uh, so um, in Second World War World, we invented uh, so many things in, uh, across the board to help us win battles. In this one, uh, to be honest with you, the, the fact that certain governments have actually utilized technology like artificial intelligence, robotic process automation, uh, leveraging drones, uh, leveraging IoT, uh, it's you know for social distancing measures etc and it's been a variety of of countries that have embraced embraced those uh, technologies to make that happen um, and I and I probably agree with everybody that you said in terms of each government doing those things I like the fact that how the South Koreans have leveraged basically AI uh, same thing with certain parts in China mm -hmm. uh, same thing with the UK government the UK government trying to basically uh, do uh, the logistic part into interesting areas where they cannot do it with drones and leverage others, other logistical approaches. That sounds great. However, what I've noticed as well is that many firms and individuals that have been supporting those robotic process automations and artificial intelligence type of programs before COVID-19 they have been able to quickly adapt into putting programs into place. Uh, so, for example, uh, looking at how some of the banks uh, across the world are basically leveraging AI and also RPA to support people in regards to, you know, business loans that have been approved with a guarantee across different governments. Mm -hmm. For example, that has been amazing. Instead of spending a whole year doing that, they were able to do that in a matter of weeks. No uh, for example, uh, air travel cancellations of, across many airlines, including yeah. some of our clients across Asia-Pac and across the Nordics who are airlines, been able to cancel uh, reservations, been able to reschedule them, uh, offer, offering clients different options based on what they're choosing uh, and in, embedding some of the RPA uh, key steps without having to leverage a human being on the other side have been incredible. That has been amazing. And same thing with most of the customer service center businesses that are driven to support clients uh, are leveraging a lot more of the AI selection of choices so that people are able to get things done faster without having so many folks, so many employees required. Um, yeah. However, uh, I want to go back to my, um, my cautious words. A lot of firms are also in the other side in which they have not done anything around RPA, artificial intelligence, leveraging IoT, leveraging drones, etc. Just imagine a manufacturing company not being able to continue to uh, create their products because they're assets or machinery mm -hmm. is down 
uh, and they have no way to confirm that it's actually down. So one of the key things that IoT and AI help you with is around the fact that you're able to understand exactly what sensory information is there, so you're able to fix things pretty quickly. Imagine if you haven't done those things, then you found yourself in a situation in which you need a human to be there, and whilst everybody is in lockdown, Mm-hmm. and you may not have enough PPE equipment to be on the field with all the people, then it makes it a very tough job to keep a manufacturing plant open. Mm. I, don't know if, I don't know if that gave you a bit of the sense behind that, but... It does, it does. Enough, it doesn't... To your question? No, it does. Uh, yes, I, I agree. I agree. No, yeah, it I sort of get a sense that when we get over this period and uh, on the other side uh, of this, I suspect the organisations that... You talk of, for example, some of the manufacturing organisations that have not implemented RPA, AI or the other will prioritise the inclusion of them into their business processes and in prep for perhaps another situation like this so that it will clearly be um, some of the changes implemented as a result and by default exponentially increasing the use of IoT technology, RPAs and artificial intelligence. Okay, um, I'd like to move on a little bit. Um, a lot of the, we've talked about some of these points, but um, I want to expand on this bit here. Um, a lot of the organisations and executives that I've spoken with have implemented, and you've talked about um, a form of Plan B with the virtual working and operations. Um, they've also um, said that when this is over or dies down, that some of the virtual elements being implemented will remain. Um, please elaborate on what has become virtual in operations, and other than the video conference in the meetings, which pretty much everyone's doing, that you foresee will remain. You have mentioned some of them, but perhaps if there's anything that you've not added to that, if you could elaborate on that. And um, as a result of its efficiency and, and, and ease of operation, please let us know what will remain within your work and with Wipro. No, no, uh, within the firm itself. Uh, to be fair with you, if I go process some example of the processes, and, and this is outside of uh, video conference call, conference calls, et cetera. Uh, how do we collaborate, uh, basically? Right now, for ex- and, uh, one of the four things that I wanted to share with you based on that question is a bit more around the fact that we have not, been able, we have not stopped supporting clients because of the fact that we have collaboration tools mm-hmm. that we're leveraging with Google platforms and Microsoft team platforms that allow us to basically create, edit, and also share deliverables, documents, uh, outputs with clients so that they're able to take the next steps in, uh, in many of the projects that we were doing with them. Again, my, my job is to help transform companies. My job is to help them on some of those business change initiatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other part, that the, other, the second process that we see is around the fact that all of our performance reviews, uh, all of our HR components are basically done in, a, in an actual uh, digital ways of working. Everything's online. If you require uh, some support in regards to some policies and procedures, uh, everything is now online. So you do not need to contact somebody in HR anymore, mm-hmm. uh, which has been good. So Wipro was very very fortunate to have spent a lot of time over the past few years investing on making sure that at an HR level, everything was digitalized. Uh, the third piece was around the fact that um, if I look at how uh, some of our clients are also 
trying to leverage uh, basically the analytics and information management rather than having uh, so many people doing spreadsheets for them. Uh, that has been amazing. I mean, uh, you know, leveraging technology tools like Anaplan, leveraging technology tools like Tagetic, just to get them to basically get the information and data that they they actually need to make decisions has been interesting, to be honest with you. And and you've said there's sort of a a shift in the the mindsets of some of your clients as a result of the pandemic, that that their fears of digital projects were unfounded and in fact that they found that they had nothing to be frightened of because now it's a matter of survival to implement and use digital solutions. Yes, uh, one of the key things that has made them, has, has many of our clients have realized is the fact that uh, when they go back to the, let's say to the standard normal uh, from that point of view, uh, or the new normal, they're not gonna stop doing the things that they're doing right now. Uh, one, uh, there's not a vaccine right now, so they're gonna have to continue to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they're doing right now. And number two, there's going to be a number, uh, an amount of meters wise that you need to have a social distance in between, for example, you and I, Elaine, who are working in an office, mm-hmm. we cannot be working right next to each other. Uh, number one, we need to be at least four or five meters apart. And number three, we also need to have an interesting uh, purifier and air conditioning system mm-hmm. that many of the clients do not currently have in order to address anything like that, in addition to the fact that we might have to be wearing face masks if we are actually in the office. So those, those requirements are basically uh, going to make companies ask people to continue to work on a virtual basis, at least for a while, at least for the next 12 to 18 months until vaccines can be rolled out. And if we are lucky enough, uh, because we don't know what's gonna be happening with uh, uh, coronavirus uh, version two or version three, uh, because things mutate. Yeah. That is going to be interesting. So uh, again, uh, I'm trying to be cautious always in my words. Uh, as you can probably guess, uh, the word depends always comes to my mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, indeed, indeed. And it, it, it is a sobering thought when you think that this could continue for 12 to 18 months, as you mentioned. Um, I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I hope we don't. I hope we don't get a second wave because you know if you look at historical data with the Spanish flu, the second wave was much worse than the first. Right. Um, let's move on. Um, I mentioned in the intro that you, you have done business in numerous sectors. Um, we've talked about robotics and automatous technology. What other sectors do you feel will come out strong? or even stronger as a result of this pandemic. I've had um, a number of discussions with leaders and of course, sustainable technology is mentioned. Um, what do you think about this? What's your take on all of that? Well, um, I have this strange feeling right now based on uh, the behaviors that we currently have to go through. Um, when I say behaviors, because each human being in their situation as an office worker or as a, as a field worker, people that have to work outside of an office, uh, let that be if it is in construction, et cetera, from that point of view. Um, based on those behaviors, I can probably tell you that the uh, agricultural sector, healthcare sector, 
uh, components that basically sit at around um, at around uh, certain types of financial services. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, same thing from the point of view of certain areas around logistics and shipping. Uh, same thing around delivery. Uh, all of those components are continue. In addition to retail supermarkets, which is like the no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's the level of discounting that you you used to see in Sainsburys, in Wade Rose, in Tesco's, in AMP in the U.S. in Pathmark in the U.S. has gone out the window. And let they me don't add to the Swiss market and Migros and Co-op just to add to that for some the Swiss. No, no. No, it's fine. It's totally fair. So, uh, I mean, you can include Morrison's. I don't have a Morrison's where I live. So even though in my last place I used to, but uh, um, all of those, uh, you start noticing that their discounting levels are are non-existent anymore in many of the products that they have, unless they're not selling when people are not buying them, which is really interesting, by the way. It's a bit of a, a different scenario on how discounting has changed for them. So regardless of all of, of supermarkets, all of those other sectors are going to be benefiting. Um, but one that I didn't mention in particular, uh, which, which everybody probably, probably realized uh, maybe in the month of January and February, is going to be companies that are basically supporting all of the cloud and collaboration tools. Uh, and also companies that are able to basically be running on a remote on a remote basis uh, from that point of view those are the ones that are going to be come out on top uh, from the sectors that are in distress let that be if there are airlines or let that be if there are also some logistical companies and also some retail outlets um, and this is going to sound very wrong but um, anybody who's making those bold approaches that seem to go against the current of being polite or being nice about cutting headcount mm-hmm. are going to want the one are going to come on top uh, you know listening to british airways uh quantas and other companies cutting staff by 10,000 20,000 and their stock the stock pricing going up it is going up because those companies have taken the bold approach to look to the future and just get ready to the new normal right away rather than keeping things on their P&Ls and balance sheets. So um, again, I know it sounds very cruel what I just said in the last part, but yeah, I was trying to- be controversial, isn't it? <laughs> Carry on. Well, I was trying to be a bit more realistic, uh, to be honest with you, given the fact that um, it's, it comes down to which companies survive and which companies stay ahead mm. during, this, uh, during this pandemic. And again, this is not gonna be the last one. Um, I hope it is, I, I, I hope it is the last one, but it's not, going to be uh, unless uh, unless uh, some of our behaviors in regards to wet markets and mm. and trying to eat every animal known to man probably stop in certain countries which can easily spread into humans but hopefully that makes sense no it, it, it does indeed it, it does um, shall we broaden this conversation a little and look at some of your um, portraits for instance, um, can you give the audience and sort of an insight into some of your projects or passion projects? It could be business or anything else. If you've discovered some new agile way of working that you are ready to pass on, pretty much anything that has gained more uh, attention and momentum as a result of the new working conditions we find ourselves in. 
Um, well, th this may not come to us as a surprise, as I've mentioned to probably in your first question at the beginning. Uh, I have right now four key clients that I'm currently working on right now with. Uh, they have all asked me exactly the same thing between the months of February and March and now April as well. Uh, Tomas, how do we implement uh, any, any, how do we move to the cloud for many of our applications pretty quickly? Uh, can we do this in a matter of days instead of weeks? Um, which is incredible because those projects are typically a bit sensitive as well mm -hmm. in terms of data. Uh, number two, the other type of projects that we're also doing is a bit more around, uh, Tomas, how do we enable uh, agile ways of working in, uh, in, a, re in a remote setting? And, you know, so you have to show them a bit of ingenuity on how to leverage collaboration tools and, and how to leverage basically video conferencing and also online presence, which they haven't thought of it before on how to apply that to digital projects. Uh, and also, um, and, and, you, and this is a bit more of a non-digital uh, request, but it's a bit more around the fact that... Uh, uh, Tomas, uh, you know, what else do you, should we consider now? And uh, in, given the fact that we are so distributed and we have so many repetitive activities, and I say take advantage of this period just to centralize. Um, it doesn't hurt you any. I mean, you don't have to have 50 countries uh, doing exactly the same thing with 50 different teams. It would be great if you can standardize now and take advantage of it. It might take you a few weeks, a few months to make that happen, but do it now whilst uh, people are basically working from home and you have a captive audience to make sure that you're able to do that. And last but not least, uh, which is a non, uh, sometimes has nothing to do with digital programs as well. It's a bit more about good old fashioned, um, you know, restructuring and cost reduction projects. You start looking a bit more across your balance sheet on what assets are producing, um, on what operational expenses do you have, and, and you start saying, well, I don't need to do this anymore. I don't need that. And just uh, trying to find a way to work with your suppliers uh, and also partners to start removing those things. Those are the key things that have so far been requested um, over, the past, uh, over the past three, four months that we're currently working with clients. And there is a few more, but I just thought I'd summarize those first four or five. Um. Now, let's look at some positives, some positives, <laughs> positives out of any of this. Um, let's talk a little at the, sort of the light at the end of this COVID-19 tunnel. There are no confirmed dates. There can't possibly be any confirmed dates as yet. But organisations and corporations are preparing for this. What are you and your organisation, I should say, doing or will be doing as part of your exit strategy? Right, and, and I keep hearing the word exit strategy a lot uh, in regards to the UK, Germany, etc. But when, from a government point of view, but when you put it in a business context, um, the a lot of the planning work that we have done as a firm and many of our clients that we're also encouraging for them to do has been more around um, three, four key areas. Uh, the first one is a bit more about you know how do you ensure that our employees and their employees continue to stay safe, given the fact that that brain power that sits in each employee, it's, it's basically the knowledge of each firm. 
So, and number two, how do you make sure those people continues to engage even though they are not present in an office? So that virtual setting, how do you continue to support that to make sure that they have better bandwidth at home, that they have better tools at home, et cetera, from that point of view? Number two, it's a bit more around the, the strategy uh, that each company has, including ourselves. A lot of our clients are asking us to, Tomas, how do we include uh, a bit more uh, variabilization into, into what they do? so that we can move a lot more into a consumption model uh, because many of them are realizing that whatever contracts they had before in regards to what they were buying, they do not require to buy as much because you know people are not in offices anymore, but they still have those contracts. So I'm trying to suggest to them, just think a bit more about what you have to do now in order to put a bit more business continuity to what you're doing but also think a bit more about what you don't need anymore. And the, the last two are a bit more around, you need to continue the level of communications that you have been doing every week, every day. People want to know, uh, people want to be treated <clears throat> as adults, uh, including your employees, your suppliers, regulators, because we're all in the same boat. We're all working from home. So, uh, uh, and some of us who are not working on home, who are basically critical workers who may need to be in a hospital, in a manufacturing location, or et cetera, you know, we need to also be able to know exactly what's actually happening. And last but not least, uh, just make sure that your, your sourcing and supply change management models uh, are also changing, given the fact that um, many, many of the companies that I'm working with uh, got caught uh, basically with China shutting down uh, for almost, uh, almost two months, three months, et cetera, from that point of view. So is that the right sourcing model you want to have going forward? It has nothing to do with uh, President Trump complaining about China. No, this is a bit more pragmatic around the fact that how do you want to support your end customers going forward who are basically counting on what you are actually selling? Uh, do you want to source those materials from places that are nearer to where you are selling them? Do you want to source them from that far away, etc.? It's a question. Those questions need to be asked from that point of view. I don't know if that was helpful to go to that level, but uh, uh, from, um, from an actual uh, Mm -hmm. from an actual key things that people need to keep thinking. I think those are things that need to become part of a new normal for many managers, for many directors, for many executives from that point of view. So, so you're, in essence, you're asking them to be a little more risk averse in, in, as you, when you talk about sourcing um, products. I, I am making the wonderful and, and maybe it's... <laughs> It might be the worst recommendation ever that I'm making to people, but uh, but this is this is not going to stop from my point of view um, anytime soon. Uh, number two, uh, if you have uh, again another uh, another type of virus similar to that, most uh, CROs, chief risk officers, and supply chain risk officers will be thinking very clearly about how to source things going forward. So for example, uh, 
when I first met some of our supermarkets uh, almost uh, almost a year and a half ago when Brexit was happening, I made to them the same recommendation. Guys, you guys need to go through a period of change yourselves before Brexit happens, if it ever, if it ever happens, by the way. Mm-hmm. Now, um, as you can probably already know, Brexit happened. Mm-hmm. But they were ready. Uh, if you saw in the supermarkets, a lot of the items that they were getting from Germany, from Spain, from Holland, mm-hmm. were being replaced by products from Morocco, from Algeria, from Nigeria, uh, same things from Chile, Argentina, etc. Now, they're probably cost less, or they probably cost more, but they were still supporting the end consumer, which is basically you and I uh, mm-hmm. from that side of the house without any disruption. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what it comes down to because, you know, they are making revenue because of customers. Hmm. That's an interesting one because yes, while they're supporting the end consumer, the end customer, there's a price to be paid somewhere else down the line. And that could be the carbon footprint, for instance, rather than sourcing it locally in Germany, you're sourcing it all the way down in Morocco, Brazil, that sort of... No, I don't don't, don't disagree. I think that uh, Greta Thunberg might be very very mad at me for saying that, but (laughs) I, um, I don't... Uh, I, I'm trying to be pragmatic in what I'm saying, to be honest with you. No, um, I, I understand. The, I understand the customer only sees the product at the end of it. They don't see how you get it. But uh, I'm just saying well, there's a cost to be paid for that. I'm just sort of elaborating on that. But let's continue with the positive theme. Um, I just pretty much just want your personal thoughts um, on your personal positives of being in this situation in, with COVID-19. Are there any? Um, at a business level, on a personal level, uh, I probably, I probably say that people have become extremely helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, situations like this can create people to behave. And, and as a change management practitioner, uh, I, I love to change behaviors. Uh, because changing a behavior changes, you know, basically means that you have changed somebody's ideas and ways of working. So I really like the fact that people have have been a bit more open and transparent about helping each other. Mm-hmm. Second thing is that um, I realized at a business level that people have realized that digital is more important than they ever thought, even though they may not call it digital, <laughs> to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. And uh, at a personal level, I am very impressed that my, my children, my two daughters, mm-hmm. are able to do online training and online classes uh, without them being upset or killing each other. <laughs> so uh, I'm very happy about that. And, uh, and the last thing that I, um, that I thought I shared with you on a personal level is that I don't know if you remember... Um, what we saw a few weeks ago in the UK, in the US, in Germany, and other countries around the fact that we couldn't get home deliveries done by many supermarkets. Mm. Okay, so what has, what, what has happened as well is around the fact that many of us uh, have been going through other channels to get basically goods delivered to our house rather than us going to the supermarket in case we we don't want to be in contact with so many people all the time. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of those farmers, uh, agricultural businesses who used to supply restaurants, 
are not supplying people like you and I. Yes. Uh, and the food is and the food is great because, as you can probably guess, food in restaurants is typically pretty good. Yes. So you really get nice meats and nice products, etc. So I've been really impressed with that. So from a personal level, that's one I would call it one of the personal positives oh, that yeah. I've seen so far. I, I, I'm glad you so said. I am. I am definitely. I am definitely. I am definitely eating healthier. <laughs> let me put it that way. And so is my family. Oh, yeah, I totally agree with that um, on a personal level myself. In terms of how where we source some of our foods, it's, it's incredible. Um, as mentioned at the very beginning of the discussion, Thomas, that you're all about change, all about transformational change. So. Using such terminologies, where are you on the change curve in all of this? This and many of my colleagues are still in the sort of shocked phase. Others still quite angry. <laughs> <laughs> Some would argue that political leaders are in a the denial phase. <laughs> so where are you on the personally on this curve? Um, right. So uh, so you can you can be aghast. You can be shocked or. You can stand still and you can cry and you can moan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I totally agree with you, uh, and, and I'm being and I'm and I'm using non-change uh, management words just to keep it simple yes. for your audience. But um, to be honest with you, um, I really didn't, did not have time to to be perplexed. I really didn't did not have time to basically be lost. Mm-hmm. Like many of our clients and many of our um, and some of our or some of the people that I know uh, as well from that point of view, I I always had to be the pragmatic person and be the objective person, no matter what I do. So I just I went straight on into preparation and taking action. Uh, to be honest with you, and every day I have to take an action and make things happen. And if I don't know how to do something in um, in this type of virtual environment, I try to figure it out and talk to the people about how can we do things and then just make it happen afterwards. And I don't, and I don't take that long to do it. I, because you, if you procrastinate, you lose. If you dither, you lose. If you are thinking about things too much, you're gonna lose. And, when, and, the, and what you're losing is time. And, and that time, is required for you to be able to support your clients, support the people that you're working with every day, etc. So uh, I know it sounds very cruel what I just said to some people because some people are probably still in shock. But yeah. yes. the, sooner, the sooner you get to a stage in which you make this a lot more objective um, and less about um, how to worry about it, if you read the news every day, if you worry about the amounts of deaths every day, you quickly go down into a spiral that you may not be able to come out quickly. Again, I know that this is a, I'm a change management practitioner, and I'm not a psychologist, by the way, but mm-hmm. I do get to see people's behaviors. And the best behavior to have in this day and age, specifically what's happening right now, is to, is to have a bit more of asking yourself a question. How do I move next? How do I prepare for this? And how do I execute quickly? So, to be so honest with you, if you get to answer those three questions in a very simple manner across everything that you need to do in your office work or in your field work, 
you'll be a lot better than a lot of the people that I know. So you, so you pretty much naturally went into solution and problem solving mode. I suppose I'm using some change management terms, but you pretty much went into that. You didn't have time to sort of look back and, and sort of moan. But you know, that, that's the way some people work. Um, I would like to end um, on this question. Um, what does back to business look like for you? In the short term, and I mean that over the next six months, uh, it's pretty much it's pretty much uh, continue to work in a virtual manner. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, continue to support clients uh, on the current way of uh, of work that we're doing. Uh, three, uh, continue to support our colleagues uh, because many of them are going to be affected across many clients who are, are, not, are not going through the same uh, level of success as the sectors that I mentioned to you before. Mm -hmm. So for example, many of our airlines and transportation clients uh, are mm -hmm. really have stopped. And so uh, some of our colleagues who are working in those areas have to change their chip in their head and move into other areas they may have not experienced before. Mm -hmm. So all of those things need to continue uh, for me and also for everybody else that works with me and also clients that I work with. And that's, that's six months. What, what about after that? Assuming that um, over, the next, uh, over the next six months to 12 months, uh, we're able to define, uh, we're able to define uh, what is our social distancing measures. Mm -hmm. uh, how easy is and safe it is for us to start traveling again, let that be if it's via airlines or et cetera from that point of view, and how you're doing track and trace. Um, I'm, I am making a bet that people will be able to basically, little by little, industry sector by sector will be able to actually work. So, for example, um, you didn't ask me this question before, but some of our clients have asked us, uh, Tomas, do you have any social distancing uh, technologies that you guys are implementing? Funny how uh, we were implementing not for social distancing, but it was a bit more around for manufacturing processes for chemicals, mm -hmm. how engineers in the field could, could actually know that another engineer is nearby them mm -hmm. because every time you wear a hazmat suit when you're on the field, let that be if it is 50 degrees outside in Saudi Arabia, or let that be if it is minus 20 degrees in Russia, uh, from that point of view, you're still gonna be wearing the hazmat suit, but you will not be able to know if that person is near you. Uh, so how do you take that technology and enable it to, um, enable it to have social distancing uh, type of tools, or how you take that basically into your iPhones, into your Samsungs, from that point of view? Um, uh, second thing, uh, for example, uh, the UK government uh, was asking on the TV that they were trying to test some technologies, and I just share, I just share that with uh, Theresa Mace's office, which is my MP uh, in the, down south where where I have a home, and uh, I I shared that um, I shared an example of that technology, and I said to her, I know you're looking at a lot of things, but if this is helpful, let me know, and. Funnily enough, she replied within 48 hours, her team said, really helpful for this. We're exploring a few ideas, and this, this is a good idea from our side of the house. Let me share it with our wider team in the Department of Health uh, from that point of view. But it's also applicable 
So those kinds of things are what I'm expecting will be part of the new normal mm-hmm. in terms of what is going to be changing for a lot of us, including for ourselves, because until a vaccine is discovered, um, we need to be a bit careful on how we interact with each other, uh, yeah. given the fact that we do not know if COVID-19 is going to be, if once you have it, if it can come back again. Mm-hmm. Number two, we don't know if you yeah. and I, Elaine, uh, may have it already and we, we might be giving it to our parents or our grandparents who are a bit older. And the last thing that we want to do is for them something bad to happen to them because that is horrible. Mm-hmm. So a, a lot of us need to think that way and a lot of us will continue to think that way. And this is regardless of the fact that we hear a lot of bravado from U.S. politicians, from European politicians around. We need to open every business, et cetera. People, yeah. people are not stupid. People are realizing that they're going to have to do something a bit different uh, from that point of view. Otherwise, they will be impacting the people that they love the most. Mm-hmm. Ch- change is coming. A big, big change. Exactly. exactly. Thomas many thanks for your time and insight. Elaine, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executive decision makers and heads of multinationals. Let's talk podcast with your host Elaine Pringle Schwitter.